Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm going to be reading the first 15 verses that we're going to be considering this morning. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we ask this morning that you would give us ears to hear clearly what your word is teaching us. Father, we ask that you would be gracious to allow your spirit to teach us your word so that it transforms our lives so that we see and know and fear the living God. And in that knowledge and in that fear, in that worship, in that moment and posture of awe that we would then be sent out as your church into a world that so desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, would you be faithful this morning to do that for your glory and your mission? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable In your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. may be seated. Kids, I want to ask you, what what is this? An hourglass. Yes, an hourglass. Um, And uh, I I brought it this morning for two purposes. Uh, Number one, uh, to keep myself on track with time. Now, parents, don't worry, it's actually not an hourglass. 
so I won't be going an hour, all right? It's more like around a half an hour time frame, okay? So that's number one. Second reason I brought it this morning is because we're talking about time. We're talking about time. So here's another question for you. What is the definition of time? Ask your parents or an adult next to you, see how smart they are. What would you say is a definition for time? Wait, somebody's saying something? It's challenging, isn't it? It's, a, it's difficult when you're asked to give a definition. There was this old church theologian, pastor, a church father, his name was Augustine, or maybe you've heard it pronounced Augustine. And he said that he knew what time was until he was asked to explain it. And that's kind of how we've, we kind of think of time today, right? It's hard to explain it. But when you think about time, it surrounds us. Everywhere we are, it surrounds us. Just think about the phrases that we use in our life that involves the word time. I don't have enough time. I need to make most use of my time. Time got away from me. You could probably think of a lot of different phrases that you've heard or you've heard your parents say, and you're like, I have no idea what that means. Because time could be actual seconds and hours and minutes of the day, but time can also be seasons or activities of our lives. I mean, just think about all the songs that we hear that have to do with time. Chances are, as I read through the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3, uh, you are thinking about one of the uh, great bands of all time, in my opinion, the birds, and their song, Turn, 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 right? Right? And, and you're singing that in your head as I'm reading the verses, okay? Um, or maybe you're thinking about the Foo Fighters, right? Times like these. It's a super good song. Or maybe you're probably sitting there going, no, 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 no. The best iconic, most incredible singer of the 80s, Cindy Lauper. Time after time, right? Right? <laughs> okay, so time, it surrounds us. Our whole lives fit into a period of time. And the author, who we've seen named the preacher or the teacher of this book of Ecclesiastes, he thought a lot about time as well. He didn't write a psalm, but he wrote a poem about it. And those first eight verses are about how our lives fit into the rhythms of time. Look at what he says again in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a season for everything. Our lives fit into time. This is God's plan. This is how he created it. All the way in the very beginning of the story, Genesis 1, the true story of the world, God spoke light and darkness into existence and gave them its name. And at that very moment, time came into existence And God created humans to be engaged and have the time be its boundaries. And God didn't do that as a punishment. He did that out of his grace and his love so that our lives would be structured 
in a perfect way. Structure, seasons of life will change, right? Seasons change depending on where you find yourself in your life. Here's a great example. My oldest son, okay? There was a season when he was 17 months old and it was appropriate and it was right at 17 months of age for me to push him in a shopping cart at the store. Well, he's now 17 years old. And if you saw me pushing him around at Sprouts, there'd be a major problem. He's not in that season of life anymore. He's moved on. And so our lives move from season to season as we grow up. Or as we change jobs. As we move to a different city. Or as God brings people into our life or takes them out. Our lives are constantly changing. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes is aware of this. And it's so baffling to him in many ways to think, what good is there in a life that's constantly changing? Do you see what he says again in verse 9? Chapter 3, after he's given this poem of all these things and all these experiences of life that we encounter, verse 9 he says, what do workers gain from their toil? This is a question, if you've been with us, we've seen the preacher ask at the very beginning of the book. It's this idea that the preacher is saying, Life seems to be meaningless, or it seems to be vanity, or even as we talked about earlier, a better word is life seems to be baffling when we look at all the wearisome toil of our lives. What do we gain from our toil? Another way we said it is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Because what's interesting is the preacher writes these eight verses of this poem. It seems like these life experiences are baffling. Like they cancel each other out. Did you notice that? It's like you look at it again in his list of what he says. He says, there's a time to plant. That's a positive. There's a time to uproot. Could be a negative. There's a time to kill. And there's a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And he goes on and there's 14 different ways of how he contrasts what seems to be positive, what seems to be negative, and seems to cancel each other out. And he goes, that's baffling. And if that's the case, then why do all this work in life? Why deal with all the heartache that we endure? Why does life seem so difficult to engage in? Every walk of life of the human experience we find in Ecclesiastes. There's a time, verse 2, to be born and a time to die. And see, when God created the world, death was not a part of our time. Death was never meant to be a part of our time. We were created to walk with God forever in the time that he had created for us. But when sin 
entered into the true story. From Genesis 3, that chapter, that notorious chapter where we know that Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie that God could not be trusted. When they believed that, sin entered into the story and it severed God's good creation so that now pain and sadness and even death entered into our existence. But that's not how it was meant to be. And so now in our lives, we have life and death, and it's like the book ends of our life and everything in between that the preacher has spoken of seems to be baffling. If we're gonna live and then end up dying, what's the point of all of our toil? What's the point? That's a good question. And if we've discussed before, some of us have probably asked that before. What's the point of all of this? What good is it? What do I gain from all my hard work? Raising kids, going to a job I don't like, dealing with people I don't really care for, having people in my life that I really loved and cared for taken from me. What's the point of all of this? It's a good question. And the preacher says it's meaningless. It's baffling. And it is. If your life is lived without God. And that's what we've been saying through this entire series is that a life lived without God is meaningless. But a life lived with God matters. And when we start to walk and learn to put God first, that he is the center of our life, that God is everything, that we worship him alone, that we also find out that time and seasons of our life matter. Seasons and time matter. There is no emptiness of time. All of time, all the seasons of your life matter. It's full of content and things that God has designed and created for you. And when you start putting God at the center, you see that time in and of itself and all the things that come with it is a blessing from God. It's a good, good gift from our God who loves us and gives us time so that we would know him. And here's the question through this passage, just kind of this big idea first, and then I'm gonna ask it in a question, but the the big idea for this section, kids and adults, is that how we live our lives in the time that we've been given matters. How we live our lives in the time that God has given us matters. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes kind of takes this and asks a question and he goes, so if that's true, how then do I live my life in a world that seems so meaningless and baffling? How do I do that? What does that look like? And he gives us in this passage two different perspectives of how to answer that question. One is what the preacher has seen 
or observed in life and what the preacher knows. And using these two perspectives, he comes to some sort of conclusion. Look at verse 10. The preacher, after he says, what do workers gain from their toil? He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's like the preacher recognizes that seasons of life, the time, God has created that. It's from the very beginning. And that's a profound truth, but it's also baffling. It's a profound enigma. And he says, God, I've seen that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And what that means here, the word beautiful here doesn't mean it's like aesthetically or the way I look. It doesn't doesn't have a beautiful uh, perspective or it's not beautiful like my wife is beautiful. And she is. Although, and that's true, God has created everything beautiful. But the idea here is a better translation would be that it's appropriate or it's right. It's fitting. God has made everything appropriate for its time. Well, that makes sense because God does what is good, right, and perfect. And everything we see, all the seasons of life that the preacher has outlined here, God has made to be appropriate for its time. It's beautiful. But here's the enigma. He's also set eternity in the human heart. The idea here that we long for something bigger and greater than what we see, than what we observe in life. And the preacher's saying, I've seen people wrestle with this. They want something, they want answers. They're asking why. Right? You think about a two year old that you have, and you, you tell them to pick up their toys. They're like, why? I asked you to pick up your toys. Well, why? And it keeps going on and on until you get frustrated and you say, because I said so. We're like that. It's like we have been created to want to know why. And the preacher identifies this and he recognizes this is true. This has been set and created in the human heart still or yet even that is created in us, we cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. Maybe here's a helpful way of thinking of it. Chris Wright, pastor and theologian, he writes this about this passage, and I thought this was so good. He says, think of time like a great, big, beautiful tapestry. Or think of it as a painting. It's telling a wonderful story spread across yards and yards of the wall of some great mansion. Can you envision that? Use your imagination to think of this big painting along this huge wall of this mansion. And everything in this tapestry or painting is beautiful. It has its own place. It's fit. 
in the story and in the picture of the painting. And because we can see part of that beauty, we know that there must be a whole tapestry. There's something beyond what we can see. This picture is wonderful, but it points to something even bigger and greater. There's a bigger reality there, but we can't fathom, meaning we can't understand why it is or what it is. And why is that so? Because we live within the tapestry. We live within the painting. Here's another way maybe of thinking of it. Here's my globe. And I can stand over here and I can look at the globe and I can see from my perspective some of this globe, right? I can see North America. I gotta get my geography right here. A teacher's gonna eat me up. North America with Canada and United States and Mexico, South America. I can see some of the oceans here and I have a perspective And this is all I can see. But I know that there's something bigger than this. That there's uh, something bigger than just what I see here in front of me. There's a bigger world in front of me, right? And if I change and I walk over here, then I start looking at it from a different perspective. And now I see the Pacific Ocean and I see Hawaii. But now I forgot what I saw over here because I can't see it anymore. My perspective is limited and I move over here and now I'm looking at Asia. And that's all I can see. But I know there has to be something bigger than this. And as my life changes and as God moves us from season to season, we only can see a little bit ahead of us. And oftentimes, that really brings us to frustration. And we start saying, why? God, I want to see the whole picture. I want to see everything. I don't understand, God, why you're doing what you're doing. Help me to know. Have you ever asked that? Has that ever kept you up at night? Why? God, why would you do this? Why are you allowing this experience to happen? What's your point? And the preacher is saying, we have eternity in our hearts. Those questions, they make sense. That's the beauty of Ecclesiastes, as we've said already, is that God gives us a book that shows that he's meeting us in the wrestling questions that we have of life. Chris Wright, again, says this. This is what the preacher means that God has set eternity in the human heart. We sense in our hearts that we are only a part of not only the tapestry, but we are only a part of a larger story. We long for something more, for something truly satisfying and meaningful, but we're limited to what we can see at any given point in time. This is what the preacher says is the burden of man. This is the burden of the human heart. 
It's another way to think of that word burden is to think of a tension that we wrestle with. That we know that we can't see everything and we can't explain all that's going on. But on the other hand, we want to know. I got to know what you're doing, God. This makes no sense to me. And if you're a good God, why don't you tell me? You ever heard that before? Have you ever asked that before? That's one perspective that the preacher acknowledges here that he has seen with his eyes, that he's asked probably himself that humans have this tension, this burden in their hearts to know why, why? Why does life happen the way it does? But the preacher also gives us another perspective of how to look at it. And he says, this is what I know. This is what I know. Look at verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Everything God does is permanent It is perfect, and it's protected. What do I mean by that? Again, verse 14, the preacher says, I know, not what I see, but I know this. I perceive this to be true. It's guaranteed that everything God does will endure forever. It's permanent. God doesn't do something and go, oops, that was a mistake. What was I thinking? It endures forever. It is perfect. Nothing that God does can have anything added to it. Meaning God didn't make it incomplete, so now it has to have something added to his work so that it's better. No, everything God does is perfect. Everything God does is protected. Nothing can be taken from it. This is huge theology right here. You want to say how can we know who God is? We see God at work of who he is and what he has done. That if you believe that Jesus is the king of the world, which we do, then you know that everything that has happened in your life, every season, every experience is the work of God that endures forever, that is permanent and perfect and protecting of you, his kids. And because you see the globe from one perspective and ask why, that doesn't mean that God isn't at work doing his great work for his glory and for your good. Everything God does is good. It's good. And Jesus meets us where we're at. 
See, seasons change, times change, but God never changes. There's a beautiful verse in Hebrews 13.8 that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? That everything Jesus is and everything that he has done is permanent, perfect, and protected because he's God. And there is nothing that has happened in your life that he doesn't know about and that he's not overseeing and ordaining for your good. And that's hard. Because some of us has been through stuff and we go, God, how is that good? How are you good? But the preacher says, I know this to be true. I know this to be true. And even in the whys and in the difficulties, God doesn't do it to punish us. God doesn't do it to lord it over us and to say, hey, you know, I love to see, I love to see your pain. I love that you're stressing with that. No. God's intent, what verse 14 says, is that God does all things so that we would fear him. So that we would fear him. Not that we would cower scared in a closet as we think of fear and what the world has made fear, but this is a sense of no, awe, worship. I stand before the God of the world who does all things that will endure And if I trust in this God through his son Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I need not worry. Even though I can't explain what's going on in my life. And that's what fear does. Is that brings us to our knees and we say, God, you are the center. I worship you. I trust you. And even though I don't understand it, I'm going to give my life to you. so that we would fear him. Some of you may be saying, well, yeah, that's true. But what about all the injustice? What about all the bad things that have happened in life? All the things that are legit? What about those things? Does God just kind of close his eyes, turn his back and forget him? No, 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 no. No, the preacher goes there too. In verse 15, even though whatever has already been, what will be before, let me read that again. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. One translation of this passage said that God will bring justice to the persecuted and the preacher is setting us up for where we'll go in a couple of weeks. But the idea here is that God sees everything. And there is a time when God is sending his son, Jesus Christ, back to earth to right all that is wrong, to heal all that is broken, 
to restore all that has been lost and severed because of sin. God will call the past into account. It's not your job to fix things on some level, but God is the fixer. The injustices you've experienced, the pain you've endured, if you know God as a preacher knows God, then you know that he will bring all into account at the day he returns in his son Jesus. How we live our lives in the time that we've been given matters in light of what we know about God. And because the preacher knows this to be true about God, look what he's able to write in verse 12 and 13. Jump back. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. We saw something similar last week when Chris took us through that. The preacher here isn't being cynical. He's saying life is good if your perspective's right. Because a life lived with God matters. And a life lived with God is good. Therefore, no matter what season you find yourself in, no matter what time you may be enduring right now, the preacher is saying, if you know that what God does endures forever, if you've trusted that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the only one that can save me, then life is good, even in the midst of difficult times. Therefore, eat and drink and party not for yourselves, but for the glory of God. As we've been saying throughout this series, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, I believe he says, is, well, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Find enjoyment in your work, in your toil. See that what you have now is a good gift from God, even when you can't explain it. The wise of life, that God is so good that he even allows us to enjoy it now if we trust him, if we fear him. I like how Paul writes it in Ephesians. Maybe this can be helpful. I think we have a slide for that. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Family, God has called us in these seasons of time where we find ourselves. And as I look around at you, family, I know so many of you are in different seasons of your life different experiences, different hurts, different joys, pains. Some of you have planted, some of you are uprooting. 
You've experienced what the preacher is talking about in those first eight verses. And if you haven't, you will. But this is what I know, and I join with the preacher to say, that those who trust in Jesus Christ, the king of the world, can rest even in the wise of life. And what you do with the time that God has given you matters. Make the use, best use of it for his glory. I like how one author put it. The Bible tells us that God, when the right time came, Galatians 4.4, 4, sent his son Jesus into the world to be our king and savior. Jesus experienced all of the times and seasons that we do. There was a time for Jesus to be born, a time for him to heal the sick, a time for him to build up, a time for him to tear down what was broken and wrong, a time for him to eat, drink, and party, a time for him to weep at his friend's grave. And a time, yes, even a time for him to die. That Jesus loved us so much that he would give his life for ours on the cross so that we may live with hope, even in the wise. Because the hope of the cross And to add on to that, the hope of the resurrection where Jesus has conquered the powers of death, sin, and Satan so that we might live even now. That hope restores us. That hope keeps us going in the baffling times of life because I know that God does all things well and it endures forever and someday that Jesus who died for me is coming again to make all things new. Death and sin is Satan no more. All the wise answered. God is not the parent who goes, because I said so. God is the heavenly father who says, wait, hold on, I'm coming. And until that time, if you trust me, if you fear me, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. And what we do now, family, in this time where God has placed you in history matters. Because a life with God matters. What are you doing with the time that God has given you? Are you trusting him even in the midst of difficulty? Do good for the sake of God and for his mission. This is what we're called to. And we have the hope of Christ to sustain us in doing that. Father, we love you. And God, we know that sometimes we feel like the seasons of our life are good, other times it's bad. We don't understand, we're asking why. We don't know why you're doing what you're doing. It's a burden that you've placed on the human heart. And God, we could go one of two ways. We can either withdraw from you and try to seek on our own 
satisfaction and answers elsewhere in this world. Or we can draw close to you, God, and trust you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, the king of the world who died so that we might live. Father, it is my prayer that every man, woman, and child this morning would draw near to you. And by the Spirit's power, they would learn to fear you, to stand in awe, in worship, in gratitude, that they would be happy with the good work that you do. Father, we need you to help us there. We need you to change our hearts. We struggle, we question, but we know that you are good. Help us to rest there, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.